0: Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hi gang, hope you're having a great start to your day. Welcome to session 127 of Selling the Couch. When this episode goes live, it is August. I am so grateful I live in Philly in August and no longer live in Texas in August because Texas is unbearably hot typically during this time of the year. But uh, wherever you are, I hope that even if you do like the heat, that you are staying cool and that you and your loved ones are doing well. Today's podcast session is actually a fascinating topic. It is with Sue Marriott. Sue is a licensed clinical social worker down in Austin, Texas. And Sue has run multiple therapy groups, including some that have gone over a decade long. So these are psychodynamic like long-term therapy groups. And today we're talking all about these groups, what it takes to maintain it, what inspired Sue to start this group, how she does some of the marketing around the group. How does she make that switch from uh, Sue was actually doing individuals and then are seeing individuals and then made the shift to group? And so how does she work around that mindset about being an individual therapist versus being a group therapist? And then uh we wrap up with some of the just the tips that Sue has learned along the way in terms of groups. When I was recording this session, I just, I remember having this moment where I was like, oh my gosh, I could totally do something like this. I definitely need to get some more training, but I definitely could do something like this. So uh I've got, this session definitely gave me pause and gave me lots to think about, and I hope that it does the same for you. Before we get to today's podcast session, I just wanted to take a moment to thank the folks over at Theranest for supporting this month's podcast. Theranest is just easy to implement electronic health records that makes the process of managing case notes and scheduling appointments and all of those things so much easier. They're used by lots of our colleagues and have this pretty amazing reputation in the field. You can learn more about Theranest at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Theranest and that link actually gives you a 21-day free trial. So we'll jump right into today's conversation. Here is my conversation with Sue Marriott from therapistuncensored.com. Hi, Sue. Welcome to Selling the Couch.
1: Thanks, Melvin. We really appreciate you having me on.
0: It's awesome to connect with a fellow Texan. I will always be a Texan, no matter where I live. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about Texas that does that to people. I think. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We're talking about a fun and interesting topic. I know that a lot of our colleagues have wanted to start therapy groups. Um, some have started their groups, and maybe not having the success that they've wanted. And I'm looking forward to learning from you and yeah, just talking groups. Yes, it's very exciting, actually. So you have done groups for over a decade. And I thought we would start at the just sort of at the beginning. Well, maybe not the very, very beginning, but (laughs) maybe like what inspired you to actually start a group?
1: You know, in a word, it's really about community. And I know it sounds kind of hokey, but like I'm a social worker. And if you think of the term social work, you know, it's social, right? And I didn't know that at heart I was a social worker because I was in psychology, but the papers and everything that I was turning in and the projects and the research ideas were all interventionist. (laughs) So I got hinted, you know, people were hinting like, are you sure, you know, instead of research on cognition or memory or what it helped me become aware of is that I really was interested in having a larger impact. And not just working individually. And so, group was a natural flow from that in the sense that, you know, it's kind of selfishly, right? That there's a better chance, like, I will have more impact on more people. <laughs> and so, and I really just like that kind of wider perspective.
0: No, I mean, I love how you're talking about it and you're being way too modest. But no, I think, <laughs> you know, one thing I've learned is like time truly is our most valuable asset, right? And especially in a therapeutic setting when we can use clinical skills to be able to impact and help more people in a finite amount of time. I mean, I think it's like just from a business perspective and a practical perspective and a serving perspective, like that all makes sense to me.
1: Right. And it's time. But it's also that there really is something magical uh, about the power of group that so that you get things out of group that you can never get in individual therapy. So that's.
0: Yeah, I guess what's a, you know, what's an example of that, like of something you might get in a group that maybe you don't get an individual?
1: Oh, it is. There are so many. But if we just take half a step back, there's lots of groups, right? There's short term groups and closed groups and open groups. But the kind of group that I do that, as you said, that has been going for the group itself has been going for over a decade. These are psychodynamic groups. And again, going back to this idea of community, that the idea is a bit. You know, you're basically working within, you're creating a small community. And in this community, the job of the group is to protect the dignity of the members and the value of the members while they're working interpersonally and while they're taking these really gigantic interpersonal risks. So, like, I don't know, I've been in a group, so I can really appreciate it from both sides. And the power of doing this in community, having basically you have 10 mini therapists giving you feedback and you become a therapist, whether that's your profession or not, to other people. So you're learning to give and get feedback live as it's happening. And the other thing is that group tends to be very stressful. <laughs> and I think of it that like an individual, I get the heart of the watermelon, right? It's we're both here for you. It's lovely. It's sweet. Typically, right? It's it's pretty easy, but it's also not the way the real world works, the real world works, where there's competition and envy and conflict. And, you know, these natural occurrences where that, you know, so to have a lab where you can go and practice, then that's where you really get the power of doing it alive. You know, it's it's we're not just talking about something, it's actually happening in the room.
0: Yeah, no, those are like all amazing examples. And then I I was also thinking, like, it's one thing for a therapist, right? Like for a therapist to like, say something or to point something out. But there is, I feel like there's something even more powerful when multiple people are pointing out the same thing, right?
1: Oh, totally. Kind of like, you know, if your wife or husband has been telling you something for a long time, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then you go in a group and you start hearing the same you are hearing it in stereo. <laughs> it's really a way to be like, oh, there may be something to this. Right,
0: right. I wanted to step back a little bit and, and talk more about the business side. And more specifically, At that time where you decided to launch your first group, what was happening in your business and in your practice?
1: Well, you know, as I mentioned, I've kind of generally thought from a social perspective. So I like there, I guess really there were two things. One was, of course, the economics. I had the light bulb moment for sure when I realized that treating multiple people all in the same hour of my time was super smart financially you know, that just seems smart, right? It's a smart way to stabilize your income. And these kinds of groups, you pay for your slot, whether or not you attend. So it really is very, very, very stable. You know, if you think about the group fee times seven to 12 people, depending. So that was just the preparation part. But the other part of it was really sheer luck. I was at a conference of a local society. as a group society. And you know, was very, very young. I probably was still in graduate school, and I happened to stay after the conference. I did not have a group friends, and just was stacking chairs, which is not really typical. Sometimes I'm, you know, we'll dart out the door. But for whatever weird reason, that day I was stacking chairs, and somebody came up to me that is part of the organization. It's the Austin Group Psychotherapy Society, and it changed my entire practice. She asked me if I wanted to get more involved, and weirdly, right there on the spot, she asked me if I wanted to be on the board. And so I took the plunge and got very involved in learning about group, studying group, teaching group, and uh, of course, wanting to do group. So there really was some stroke of luck to it. And it, it really has changed my entire practice going forward.
0: I do feel like sometimes just things are meant to be right. Uh, oh, definitely. Uh, definitely. how that one encounter really, I mean, it's changed the trajectory of your career.
1: It absolutely has. And definitely for the better, both, again, from a financial standpoint, but also, you know, I look forward to group, you know, sometimes individual, I love, I love depth psychology and working very, very deeply with individuals. I really love it. But the mix of doing going back and forth is just very enlivening. And sometimes it's my
0: favorite part of the whole week. You know, I was thinking a lot about like, the mindset that's required from switching from this modality, right? Like you were doing depth psychology, a lot of individual work. So when you switch from a modality, for example, doing individual to group or individual to seeing couples, there's always this sort of mindset shift that has to happen, right? Um, right. What was the biggest like thing that you struggled with initially when you made that transition? And then how did you walk through it? The most
1: difficult thing is going from... An individual, I mean, this is kind of what you're saying an individual mentality to really thinking about the group as a whole entity. And I did, like many young practitioners do that are doing group, made the kind of worst mistake you can make, <laughs> which is basically doing individual therapy in group. You know, because I wanted to be helpful and I wanted to deliver goods and <laughs> I wanted to make people comfortable. So I was working incredibly hard, kind of, you know, filling everyone's cup, so to speak, and trying to make things happen in there. And I got this great advice. There's a mentor named Ann Alonzo, who's a, just a pioneer in the field of group the psychotherapy. And she says that you want to be a critic for your group. So that's the really the shift in mindset. So and by critic, you know, not critical, but rather than conducting and trying to make things happen and working very hard, that the shift is to be more of a bring your full presence And your curiosity and your observation. And then you just help the group understand what it's doing. And you're not trying to force change or get people to be different because what that ends up doing is that you're not going to be able to feed people enough because there's 10 people there. But they can, if we can get the group working together, it's like a nutrient bath because, you know, we might not know the individual nutrients we need, but by immersing yourself in the, in a healthy dynamic, lively kind of sometimes stressful group experience you just it's like your body absorbs things that you didn't even know you needed
0: yeah that's amazing like that's an amazing analogy like i have such a a great like visual of that the other thing is it's a different type of work right yes yes it is Uh, you're more i guess i don't know if this is the right word almost like a curious observer
1: Yeah, you're a curious observer, but you're also like you're really intentionally building the group itself. That's why I like the group as an entity, which is why that doing individual therapy and group can just really kill a group. It's part of why they don't last. But in some ways, like you want to step back and really bridge people to one another, get people turning instead of, you know, what, what will happen initially is they'll all look at you. And and sort of your job is to help people look towards one another. And so, again, if you think about it, like it's like you're surrounded by these little thin mirrors and every mirror will be distorted because there's all this subjectivity and all that. But once we really can get a look around the group about how that we're perceived, that is a very reliable source of information about ourselves. And then also practice giving live feedback like, you know, hey, last week I my feelings were hurt, you know, things that are actually very, very difficult to do, particularly in front of a lot of people. Right. Mm-hmm. So that kind of working deeply on yourself and then working deeply on relationships and then with all the support. And by support, I mean sometimes challenge And the general gist of it is that we want to make the unconscious conscious, the implicit explicit. And so I think the group is the most I know I sound a little evangelical about this, but it's the most powerful way of working on very early history, particularly nonverbal things, uh, preverbal attachment, you know, my lens is like a interpersonal neurobiology, like a really good group, just like good individual therapy, literally changes our brain and opens new neural pathways to relating. And I'm a big proponent of of earned secure attachment. We didn't get there naturally, but we can work for it, right?
0: No, I, I love what you're saying. I think one of the things I was just curious about is when folks come into your group, right? How do you shift that mentality of Like if several of them have expectations that there's going to be time dedicated for me and, you know, Sue's going to work with me. And right. So how do you shift that from that sort of mentality to I'm part of a larger group and we journey together and we figure things out that that sort of shift?
1: Like, say, if someone's turning to me, I might just help them articulate what it is that they're looking for. Right. Instead of because what we probably can do is we can know exactly what they're looking for just intuitively. But the work of having them put it into words, you know, I want you to pay attention to me or I want you to, you know, that that's already beginning to do the kind of work that we do in group. And the other piece of it is in group, you can sit back and watch other people relate and the learning then, again, is exponential because this is the immersive experience. So in some ways, so even if I just rather than just give them what it is that they're wanting, I'm really helping them try to identify it and name it. And, you know, again, there's usually a fantasy that I know more about them than they know about themselves. And I'm somehow going to be able to <laughs> execute that. And even just becoming aware that that's the wish is really lovely. And there's just something that kind of begins to open up. The other thing is the group itself. If it's working well, they'll help. I mean, they'll help the person. They're like, "Why are you turning to her? Why not? Why not ask me that? I'm a parent too, or I'm a whatever it is, right? Yeah. So it's not all on the leader to have to do it. Fortunately. <laughs>
0: right. No. I and you know I've facilitated groups before, and I think I like that space. You know, where members can turn to one another because for me. Sometimes it takes me a while to kind of process what's happening. Right? Yeah. So I like that space to see, okay, this is what's happening, right? And that feels like a different, I don't know, I just enjoy that space because I think it, it gives me a little bit more clarity as opposed to always feeling like the spotlight is on me. You know, there's
1: a saying, don't just do something, sit there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it's easier to do that in a group because exactly that if you begin to get flooded or overwhelmed or embarrassed or anything that you're able to just if you sit and if you're quiet, you know, the group will pick it up. So
0: just keep going. So you had this idea for a group. How did you figure out what the topic of this first group would be?
1: You know, I no longer do kind of topic centered groups. But, you know, just as a sh- quick story, I did initially, I used to do topic groups, but I was doing it specifically to promote my practice because I wasn't able to go to organizations or anything and say, you know, and talk about myself or try to sell myself. But by creating a niche group or a specialized group, I certainly could go to an organization and say, Hey, I've got this group that is going to help you with your folks that don't have a place to go and you know, they're going to get this individual care and the specialized service. And so that was actually part of how I built my practice. And that particular one was on working with women who had been through substance abuse treatment, traditional 12-step substance abuse treatment, but that continued to relapse. And a lot of times they'd been through lots of treatment and they would continue to relapse. And so I was very interested in providing more depth and being able to look at the trauma that might not be addressed in a 30-day model you know, some of the things that would just may have been missed with these particular folks. And that was just the example of the topic that I first started.
0: I was like curious about this. Like, was it something you just felt passionate about? Like, how did you bridge that gap between knowing you had a passion for this versus that? Hey, there's actually a need for this and folks would be interested and they would be willing to be a part of this group.
1: You know, I was relatively strategic about it because I like, for example, I limited it to women and again this is my early you know business mind that women engage in psychotherapy more readily than men as was my thought so so why not target user you know the kind of a lower hanging fruit that was easier to get and something certainly that i was more familiar with And then addiction, you know, some of this just came from my work in the field. I was I used to work in community supervision and corrections, which is probation and child protective services. So not only did I know what they needed, I knew what was missing and I was trusted by them. So I could come in and say, you know, they would pay to put people in treatment. But so for those few people that were able to afford it themselves, and there definitely were that they had this other option. So that was how that
0: worked. You bring up such a good point, which is, I know I have a tendency to do this, which is we forget like our previous training. I'll just speak for me, but I, yeah. I have a tendency to no, forget, me too. <laughs> forget my previous training, forget my previous job experiences, right? And I sort of just focus on the present. But yeah, like those previous experiences and thinking about what we did and where the gaps were is just such a good idea, not just for a group, but I think like in any sort of modality or service that we provide.
1: Absolutely, because we spent hours there. And again, the relationships are usually strong. And to speak to the shift from the topic oriented, because your listeners, I think, will be interested in how do you the hardest thing is starting a group. So how do you keep it going? Right. And that was part of why I shifted from. A topic oriented because they always, you do the topic and then by the end end of the six weeks, kind of people want to continue, but that really wasn't your initial group agreement. And so a lot of people try to then go, Oh, okay, we'll keep going. And that usually, that's a very hard. thing to maintain because they signed up for six weeks and they're not going to say, no, I'm done. You know, they're going to say, sure, let's keep going. But it's just a different level of commitment beyond that six weeks. So I stopped doing any kind of time limited group and just said, we're going to meet until your goals are met and you can be the one to determine that uh, hopefully in collaboration with the group. And we're not going to limit it to a topic because people are too complex. I want men and women and the entire gender spectrum and you know, as much diversity, age difference, background, as much difference as I can possibly get to stimulate different things in different people. And that is where the group just came alive. And that's where it's, it never gets boring. And, you know, and that's why people can go in the group for so long and still be getting things.
0: It's amazing. It's actually such a a cool and very subtle, but a very powerful like shift that you did. Yes. I wanted to ask you, so I get the process of Like if someone is in the group and they feel like their goals have been met, what do you do with if someone wants to join the group that's not in the group? Like, how does that work?
1: It's a great question, Melvin, because I actually think, again, for the listeners that are interested in creating these kinds of groups, long term psychodynamic groups, that screening is the most important thing. And it's not just screening to see if they're ready or what have you, but it's also training them, kind of doing some pre-group training so they'll be really, really prepared. And so I really, when people refer to me for group, I kind of run them through the mill a little bit because I would rather they, if they're going to fall out or if it's not going to work, I want to know that before I put them in, partly to protect the group because these are closed groups and it's a big deal when you add a member, but certainly to protect the individual who's thinking about doing this more stressful thing. Some people talk about it, it's going from the lap to the playground, so individual therapy is the lap and then group is the playground.
0: There's a lot of like caretaking in a good way, right? Like you're very thoughtful about how about the group, the members, the person that's coming in, all of those things.
1: Yes, and I try to anticipate with the potential new member what obstacles they might have, and so that's what I mean by sort of running them through. And I am in the individual sessions, then kind of like how group is. So it's it's much more direct and interpersonal. So I might say, what if someone, you know, interrupted you or what if people ask you questions that you didn't want to answer or, you know, like I really just sort of walk them through, you know, some of the different scenarios. And also or what if someone was attracted to you and began to speak about it? What if someone was talking about something that you felt morally, you know, that stirred you up morally? And so as they begin to think this through, like one example is somebody wanted to come in for relationship stuff. And I said, well, what happens if you break up? And he was like, well, I'll stop. (laughs) and then we could talk about and predict like actually that's the perfect time to be turning to a group that first of all to help you through it but also to learn about what happened and was there anything that you did to contribute and you know so it really shifted the mentality of like oh i'm gonna actually be using you know this isn't just a support group this is really for me to change uh, interpersonal patterns that might not be good
0: for me yeah, it's not uh, just based on the circumstance that's happening in that moment. But this is for me. to That's right. Something much deeper. That's right. And so in that pre-screening, that's a lot of what
1: goes on. And then that way, by the time they actually get in, first of all, they're usually impatient to get in, they're like, okay, I'm ready, <laughs> which is actually perfect. You know, I want that. Right. So instead of me like going, really, it's going to be a great idea. You know, right, right. I'm like, and I am, I'm very picky. It's this kind of rare opportunity to get to go in. And that's how I talk about it. And so they're like, me, 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 pick me. Mm-hmm.
0: How do you market this? Like, so if you have a group that's, I guess, do you call it a general process group or what is it the, I guess when you introduce it to referral sources, when you introduce, what do you say?
1: You know, most of the group members are going to come from your individual practice, But certainly, like in these group communities are a really great way to market. And it is just a general process group. And the more people around you that, like when people really understand what it is, it's very easy sell. And, you know, let me tell you, the listeners that might be interested in more training, and I'm not affiliated with this group, it's a nonprofit. But there's a national organization called the American Group Psychotherapy Association, AGPA. And they do trainings that will blow your socks off. All the training, of course, happens in group. And so you become a member of a group for two days straight. And I will tell you, it's the best training I've ever had. You get so much. It's like IV therapy a little bit, but also that immersive experience to teach you how to facilitate these kinds of groups.
0: You're making me want to like log in and go check it out. Oh,
1: I'm totally, I absolutely, you know, I cannot emphasize enough. There's a conference actually coming up in February in Houston And there's things called the Institute, which happened before it. And that's what I'm talking about, where you become a member for two days. Even if you don't do group, like, don't worry about that. Just go in and learn more about yourself as a clinician, as a practitioner, you know, find your blind spots and and go take your nutrient bath, right?
0: (laughs) Fill yourself up a little bit. I think just in general with any modality, I feel like one of the best ways to learn is just immerse yourself in it. Absolutely. Um, So you have four ongoing therapy groups three of which have met for over a decade. So my last question to you is what would you say are the three biggest lessons that you've learned from these groups?
1: First of all, if you again, going to the group mentality, think about that at any given moment, the group knows more than any individual person, including yourself, right? So if you can get the group working together, you know, we're better together than alone. So that's one is that to really trust the group and know that the group as a whole knows more than anybody. And, uh, that's a great resource. And then number two, I'd say, is that groups will always protect its most vulnerable member. And again, that takes some pressure off of you. But if somebody is struck sometimes someone's beginning to get teary and I don't see it, and the group will go, well, so the group helps itself. It, it runs itself. It's co-regulatory, including when you, the therapist, are the most vulnerable member. They will take care of you too, fortunately. <laughs> and then the last one, three, is just it's, that I've really, really, really been able to see this by working in this kind of depth and this kind of length. that deep change actually does happen. Like structures of the self actually change. And, you know, at the biological level, I think we change one another and that group is a very powerful and efficient way and an expensive way. I had mentioned the economics earlier, but it's less expensive for the client. And then, of course, it's more financially viable for you. That's a side note. But basically what I would say, the third one is that it group maximizes the possibility for neural plasticity and change
0: and deep growth. Uh, Sue, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for all the work you have done. I'm grateful that we've been able to connect. What are some of the best ways that folks can get in touch with you?
1: Absolutely. And Melvin, let me say, you know, you work in groups. You have created these fantastic online communities. And I wanted to really thank you for that. It's been really powerful. But people can reach me at Sue at therapistuncensored dot com and podcast itself, if you think about it, is again another natural extension of creating groups and doing helping more people at one time. And I co-lead that particular podcast with two amazing therapists in Austin, Texas, Ann Kelly and Patty Allwell, who are just fantastic. So that's how you can reach me, Sue at therapistuncensored dot com. One of the things we're really excited about is that we're launching an online training course on modern adult attachment and we're really updating the science Uh, we've been able to pull together new research that most people have not aren't familiar with and integrate it so we're really excited about that particular piece so people can sign up for that at therapistuncensored.eventbrite.com and eventbrite is b-r-i-t-e thank you for letting me say that
0: no problem thank you again Hi there, hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sue, and I hope that it's given you some new ideas and new inspiration, whether you are thinking about launching a group or have a group and thinking about restructuring it. There were a couple of things that I took away. I was actually furiously writing notes during the conversation, but one really key thing that that I wanted to just share with you and just kind of highlight is the idea behind a long-term group. I've actually noticed this with some of the things that I've done with STC is that is this idea of scalability, right? So for example, with a topic-based group, you're limited in terms of like you meet for a certain period of time and then you kind of have to figure out things on multiple levels, like what to do with existing members, how do you get new members into the group, all of those different things. Whereas with a long-term group, uh, you have a little bit more flexibility with that. I think, yeah, it's just there's a little bit more flexibility in terms of options of how folks join, who joins, and all of those kind of different things. So... Hope today's podcast session was helpful. I know that Sue mentioned a number of different things, and you can find show notes at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 127. I have a feeling we're going to have a great conversation about this podcast episode, so please come join us over in the Selling the Couch community, which you can find at sellingthecouch.com forward slash community. There are almost 6,000 of our colleagues in that community, and just a wonderful place of just giving and uh, and just wanting other helpers and healers, just wanting to support each other and encourage one another on our private practice journeys. Again, Sue mentioned a new training course they're putting out on attachment, and you can find that at therapistuncensored.eventbrite.com. As we wrap up again, just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Theranest for supporting today's podcast session and this month's podcast session as well. If you're tired of expensive and hard-to-use private practice management software, I encourage you to check out Theranest. It's simple, it's affordable, and it's used by thousands of our colleagues all around the world to better manage and grow their practices. You can try TheraNest for free and then get 20% off your first three months through the special link that they provided for us. And you can find that at sellingthecouch.com forward slash TheraNest, all one word. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and I'm so grateful for you and grateful that you took the time uh, to join us. Take good care. Bye.